1: This is 105.9 The Region. I'm Tina Cortez with On The Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. My co-host and our real estate expert is Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties. Good morning, Asif, and you have today's guest. I
2: do. Good morning, Tina, and our guest is Beta Delisi. Beta is the owner of Stonegate Legal Services. Beta, welcome back.
3: Good morning. Thank you, Asif and Tina, for having me on.
2: Hey, great to have you back. And You know, before we get into landlord tenant issues, Bita, tell our listeners a little bit about your work and your role.
3: Well, I am a licensed paralegal. My background lies in real estate, property management, and now legal services. Uh, what our firm does is we provide support to realtors, landlords, investors with respect to their landlord and tenancy matters. So things like non-payment of rent, persistent late payment of rent, uh, wanting to sell a house uh, or their property and the tenant is not moving out. If a landlord wants to move in and the tenant is not moving out, we'll, we deal with all aspects. Aspects of landlord and tenancy matters that's what we do
1: so what is the big issue right now for either tenants or landlords or both well there's
3: actually there's a couple of issues the first issue is the backlog of the board which seemed to have been clearing up but is now building back up again that's the first issue which leads to delays which leads to frustrated landlords who are not getting their rents on time or they're not getting rents at all, resorting to taking the law into their own hands and locking out their tenants illegally. So that's the first issue. The second issue is, you know, realtors that are trying to sell the property, even when the property is sold, the tenant is given notice, they cannot move because rentals are much higher than what they should be. You know, about 15, 20 years ago, and Asif can agree with me, I hope Asif can agree with me, when uh, people would rent in order to be able to save up and purchase a property. Right, Asif? That's right. Now, now it's, people can hardly afford to rent. Rentals are far more expensive now than they've ever been in the past. And if a property is sold and a new purchaser requires possession, obviously the tenant would have to leave. But if they have nowhere to go, they can avail themselves and wait for a hearing date, even when they're notified of the, even when they've been given the 60 days notice that the buyer requires possession for their own use. Which, what happens then? It delays the closing date. It's like a it's a domino effect. It delays the closing. Uh, the purchaser probably given notice where they are if they've sold their property. Now they're not able to move, and now the seller is in breach of contract with the agreement of purchase and sale because they're not able to provide vacant possession. Beta with the backlog, I know a
2: year ago when we spoke, it was tenants not paying their rent, and that was uh, you know cases were piling up, and when courts opened up, there was that backlog. But what's causing the backlog now? You said that there was uh, a backlog occurring again.
3: So let me tell you. So last year, or about a little little over a year and a half ago, uh, during COVID, a lot of landlords were cashing out because the market was so hot, and the purchasers required possession of the property. When some of these tenants would vacate as a result of, you know, the purchasers requiring possession, they soon came to find that the purchasers did not move in, or landlords were actually serving N-12s, notice for their own use, to deceive the tenants into moving out and then turning around and listing the property for sale, which resulted in um, the tenants' The tenant's filing a T5 application for for bad faith against the landlord. We're finding that a lot of these applications that were filed back then are starting to be heard now, which is creating the backlog. Because in order for landlord applications to be heard, the tenant applications, most of the tenant applications, should be cleared out by the board.
1: And are the board hearings still virtual at this time? Yes, they are. Yes, sir. And they will continue to be virtual. And you know, I'm hearing a lot
2: about landlords filing complaints with the board, but having even maybe one small mistake and they have to redo the entire process and get back in line. Is there any truth to that?
3: Yes, that's a, there's 100% truth to that. Any small error, no matter how minor, an error in the date, you forgot to put the postal code, you forgot to put basement unit, you forgot the middle uh, name, any minor error, no matter how small, will get the matter dismissed. So imagine waiting seven months to get to a hearing, four to six months or whatever time it takes to get to a hearing. The tenant has not paid rent prior to the waiting period, even before, um, before you get to the board, only to find that your matter is going to get dismissed, because of an error. This also results in the landlords taking matters into their own hands and resorting to illegal
1: lockouts. And how long does the whole process from application to resolution? How long does it take?
3: From application to resolution? So let me let me tell you, from the day that the tenant stops paying, from the day that the notice is served to the day the application gets heard could be 4 to 6 months. Maybe longer, maybe shorter. We don't know. Depends on the board. The board will then hear the matter. They don't make a decision right away. They will send out their decision with their, um, with their reasons behind the decision, usually 30 to 60 days after the hearing. Although I've been, I'm still waiting on hearings, on, on receiving decisions of matters that were heard back in February and March. Wow. Wow usually then the board will allow the tenant to stay 30 days or 60 days, whatever the case is. And even if the tenant still doesn't leave by the date in the order, the landlord has to file for an eviction. So from start to finish, you're looking at about 8 to 10-month process. And that's if everything goes to plan.
2: And is there a cost to the landlord to bring this application forward and is that recoverable from the tenant if they're found to be
3: in default? Depending on the type of the apl- of application and notice, the landlord can only recover the application filing fee. Legal costs are a write-off for the landlord, so, so the board will never award legal costs unless that unless you have a frequent litigant or unless you have a vexatious tenant that always tries to delay or hold up the board. Then the board may award some of the costs but they will never award 100% of the cost because it's a write-off uh, for the landlord. The tenant only can uh, be ordered to pay the application fee for a no-fault, for, for a fault application or notice. So a no-fault uh, the eviction notice is the N-12 or the N-13, where the landlord requires possession or the property is sold or for extensive renovations or demolitions. This is a no-fault Notice, which will be a no-fault eviction, the tenant will not be ordered to pay the application fee. On, on, on a fault application, by fault application, which means a notice for non-payment of rent, persistent late payment of rent, uh, damages, the tenant can be ordered to pay the application fee of one eighty-six if it's filed online, or two hundred one if it's courier to the board.
1: Hmm. Now, bit earlier this year, the province said it was investing more than $19 million to kind of speed up the process and increase staff and resources and technology. Has that helped it at all?
3: Well, I, I did hear that, that the province going, was going to inject some funds into to the tribunals, but I'm yet to... Experience; those funds have been put to good use. Although they're they are making good use of the hearings online, the thing is is that they've hired a lot of newer adjudicators, mm-hmm. and a lot of these newer adjudicators don't really know the proceedings, or how to handle the proceedings, or uh, the strategy, or the law, and this often results in delays, because if we, you know, at any given time on a non-payment of rent hearing, there could be anywhere from 50 to 110 matters scheduled to be heard at a hearing block. And if the hearing block is a three-hour hearing block or a, set, a seven-hour hearing block, I'm sure everyone can agree that it's close to impossible or highly unlikely that 110 matters will get heard. If these matters are not heard, then they get adjourned. Well, put yourself in the position of a landlord who's owed 25000 hmm. and then your matters adjourned because the board ran out of time. Right? And, and again, this is what's resulting to a lot of landlords taking the law into their own hands
1: and self remedying. All right. So hold on right there. After the break, we continue our conversation with BIDA and what to do when tenants default. This is on the market on 1059 The Region. Stay with us.
0: Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him 416 985 Khan. That's 416 985 5426. Or email ossiv at thehomeshop.ca. Now back to On the Market on 1059 The Region.
1: Welcome back to On the Market York Region's exclusive radio real estate show on 105.9 The region. I'm Tina Cortez, and of course, our real estate expert is Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties. Asif,
2: and we continue our conversation with Bita As a- Bita, the owner of Stonegate Legal Services. And Bita, before the break, we were talking about the tribunal and the delays, and you know what we're going to be doing if uh, what a landlord can do if a tenant defaults. But tell us now with with a tenant having other people move in, because the rental market is so tight and people can't get places, we've seen instances where uh, spouses or girlfriends or boyfriends have moved in with a tenant. And you know, what does that do to the contract that's in place, the lease that's in place between the tenant and their landlord?
3: Well, unfortunately, Asif, uh the landlord does not have very much recourse when it comes to moving in a friend or family member. And the reason why is that that person can be considered as a guest or a visitor. And the law does not define how long a guest or a visitor can stay with the tenant. So unless they're moving in um, uh, so many people to the point where the city bylaw occupancy limits will not allow it, then they are allowed to move in a family member or a friend. And there's nothing that the landlord can do, unfortunately. We will be experiencing a lot of that with the rise of the interest rates, um, but unfortunately the landlord does not have very much recourse.
1: So you spoke about the the rising interest rates. So what is a landlord to do if they need to sell? How do they proceed? Well, they still
3: have to go through the process. Anytime a landlord wants to sell, they have to go through the process. They can either list the property on the market and sell it with the tenant inside, and when they receive a firm agreement of purchase and sale, then they can serve notice, but only if the purchaser requires possession of the property for their own use. When notice is served, certain requirements must be met. When these requirements are met, they will then have to wait for a hearing. The The, the challenge on this route is that it's going to take four to six months to get to the board. If it takes four to six months to get to the board, the board will then send out their decision in the mail, usually between 30 to 60 days, although we are experiencing uh, delays uh, longer than usual. The board may give the tenant an extra 30 to 60 days, and if the the tenant still doesn't vacate, the, the landlord would still have to enforce an eviction by way of the sheriff, which can take four to eight weeks. So this route, the process is it, it, the process can be anywhere from ten, usually I would say eight to ten month process. the The thing that you have to keep in mind, and a lot of landlords, you know, they miss this this particular point, is that just because a property is sold does not mean a tenant has to move out. The tenant does not owe any duty of care to the buyer. The agreement of purchase and sale does not make reference to the tenancy or any agreement between the buyer and the tenant. The only party that has a duty of care to the tenant and the buyer is the seller-landlord. And that's why the tenant can avail themselves to a hearing, just like it says in the N-12. The only other option is a cash for keys in which I highly recommend is done prior to listing the property. That way the landlord can give the property a facelift, do any repairs, painting, curb appeals, staging, whatever they want, get it listed. They're not going to have any issues with uh, showings being restricted or access to the property or closing. You know, one route, the N-12 route is going to cost time. The cash for keys route is going to cost money.
2: Yeah, Vita, with Is there a specific difference between whether that tenant is within the first year of their lease or if they're, is it called holding over when they're staying past the first term of the lease? Is is there just 60 days notice required if they were uh, completed their first term of the lease? How does that work?
3: That's a great question as well. Uh, If the tenant is still within their lease agreement, if they're still within the one-year agreement, then the N-12, the notice for the landlord's own use or purchaser's own use, has to be the last day of the term of the lease. Or the buyers would have to assume the tenants, and they can serve notice 60 days prior to the lease coming to an end. But they do have to honor the lease.
1: Peter, why does it feel like um, maybe the landlords don't seem to have a great deal of ground or leg to stand on here?
3: Well, it feels that way because of the delays. You know, about five years ago, on a non-payment of rent, uh, notice being served and filed with the board, it took about three to four weeks to get in front of the board. The whole eviction process was less than 90 days. Now it's up to a year. Yeah. A lot of landlords are starting to feel helpless because of these delays, as a result of these delays. The board has to do something about these delays. Otherwise, when the interest rates go up, there are going to be a lot more illegal lockouts, especially with those tendencies that the tenant is not paying rent. And then the issue is going to be that these people are not going to be on the street. And is that, how safe is that for everybody else? hmm
2: and, and when you do have a purchaser moving in, I know there's two different forms. Can you explain to us the difference between, is it an N11 and an N12? What are the two forms and what are the main differences? So the N11
3: is an agreement to end the tenancy. It's a very, I call it the, the Incredible Hulk. It's a very powerful agreement. And it's its kind of like a mutual release. This is how I tell my agents to look at it. When a mutual release is signed, all parties are giving up their rights to the agreement of purchase and sale, their obligations under the agreement of purchase and sale. Well, when an N11 is signed, all parties are giving up their obligations and rights to the tenancy. The N12 is a notice Okay, there's a difference. The notice is from the landlord to the tenant. An agreement is a document that all parties sign, whereas the notice is the landlord notifying the tenant. Those are the differences. The N12 has requirements. The termination date has to be 60 days, there has to be a compensation requirement, there has to be a declaration from the person moving in. Whereas the N11, the termination date can be any date. The only requirements are what the parties agree to, whether or not they agree to anything. Those are the differences.
1: And what's your advice then to landlords before any rental agreement is started?
3: Before any rental agreement is started, I highly recommend that landlords familiarize themselves with the basics of being a landlord. Okay, and what I mean by basics is uh, things like what are illegal deposits? Um, can a landlord request a certain method of rent payment? What happens when a tenant stops paying the rent? And often landlords have narrow vision, right? And they just think, well, if I just buy a property, somebody else will pay the mortgage. Well, what happens when this somebody else loses their job? What happens when they provide you with false documents? Um, what happens when they are not able to pay the rent? What happens if they have mental health issues and it leads to damages? Like You have to take all of this into consideration. And more importantly, is the landlord financially in a, in a financial position to be able to carry the property for at least 10 months to a year if that tenant stops paying? That is the, the, the trigger question. So, Bita, if people want to get a hold of you,
2: if our listeners or agents that may be listening want clarification of any terms of a landlord-tenant relationship, how do they contact you?
3: They can visit us online at StonegateLegalServices.ca. Uh, our contact information is online. They can book uh, an appointment with us online, a consultation online. Uh, all our information, our videos, our information, everything is online. StonegateLegalServices.ca is where you can find us.
2: You know, thanks so much. Lots of information, and I'm sure you're be getting some uh, calls from our listeners just for clarification or even for some help.
1: Thank you very much, Asif. Thank you, Tina. Thanks, Bitta. Always great reconnecting with you. When we come back, your real estate questions. This is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us.
0: Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him. 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email awesome at thehomeshop.ca. Now back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region.
1: Welcome back to On the Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show on 105.9 The Region. Time now for our listener questions. We begin with Joe in Vaughn. He is about to purchase his first home, what does he need to know and how does he access the perks of being a first time buyer asif great question you know
2: there's a, there's a lot to learn and and basically the the first step that you can take is to sit down with a realtor and have them explain the entire process from start to finish so you know the first step is obviously going to be getting that pre approval the second step is going to be a buyer consultation with your realtor to find out what your needs and wants are and see what's on the market that matches your pre-approval amount. And after that, the fun part starts and that's going out and seeing homes and making sure that you find the one that you love or the one that is going to be that stepping stone to the rest of your real estate portfolio. So you want to be able to sit down with a realtor first and foremost and, and be able to let them know what you're looking for and Find a property that's going to be uh, something that's going to appreciate over time because that's where the money is going to come from for your next home. You're not obviously going to go out and buy your forever home as a first-time buyer. Not many people do that. But you want to have something that's in a great area that's going to appreciate, that's going to give you the equity that you need to use that equity rather than have to put more money in later and have that equity working for you to get your next home. As far as what you're going to be looking for in terms of benefits for first-time homebuyers, there's obviously a land transfer tax benefit. There's different perks where you can use your RRSP money in order to fund your down payment. And your mortgage
1: broker, lawyer, and real estate agent can actually sit down with you and explain all of these to you. Good advice as usual. Our next question comes from Mark in Richmond Hill. He wants to know, what is a real estate auction company and how does it work? So real estate auction
2: companies are basically it's an open bidding type of company. So there are a few that are already active in the GTA and basically what you're doing is you're opening up the bidding so that everyone knows what other people are bidding. Now there's a little bit of a hiccup in that in that privacy rules and our uh, as a realtor the code of ethics prevents us from revealing private information about offers to the general public. Now, there's a caveat there that we have to overcome. And they're, I know they're rewriting some of the rules because next year, open bidding will be a part of the purchasing process. And uh, if the seller chooses to do so, so if the seller does choose to go the auction route or the open bidding route, then people will be able to see uh, prices that other people have offered. And there's getting bad things with that because if you don't know what that the other person has bid $2,000 more than you. You may stop because that's your highest bid and you feel like you're winning. But if you do know that someone's paying a thousand or $2,000 more than you, you are going to pay that money. So it could drive prices up. And we've seen that with places that have open bidding or options in Australia and New Zealand. We've seen that the appreciation is a lot higher than what it is in Canada. And if there's a, uh, you know, it, it's, Exciting, and we're kind of looking forward to trying it out, but at the same time, it could drive up prices even more and make it unaffordable for a lot of people.
1: Is there a fee associated with participating in a real estate auction? Yeah, there is, And
2: it's pretty much equivalent to what you would pay uh, in terms of commission because you're still paying uh, a representative to have the buyer come forward in the auction. You're also you also have auction fees. So even if they don't say they charge commission, they are going to be charging fees in order to facilitate the process. And, uh, you know, different companies will have different fees. But in general, it's all going to come out in the wash. It's all going to be around the same.
1: All right. Sounds good. As a reminder, you can send your questions anytime to info at 1059theregion.com. But Asif, if our listeners prefer to contact you directly, how can they do that?
2: You know, and always call me at 416
1: 985 con That's 416-985-5426. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Tina Cortez.
0: Thank you for listening. Need to connect with Asif Khan from Remax Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca.